0: On today's episode of the John Campius Show podcast, brand new trailer for the new Napoleon movie just dropped with Joaquin Phoenix, and it looks incredible. Also, Killers of the Flower Moon is finally here. But how's it going to do at the box office? We're going to discuss that also. People are singing and dancing in the aisles at the Taylor Swift concert movie, but should they be at this point? Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning may have struggled at the box office, right now it's number one on the streaming charts. Tom Hardy and Austin Butler's new movie, The Bike Riders, has just been kicked off of its release date. And the very first images of Netflix's upcoming live-action Avatar The Last Airbender have come out and they look really good. That and a whole bunch more of the John Campus Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best damn Show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show podcast. Coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host. John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you. Our international friends gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world. Movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different than ours. Uh, joining me in studio today, of course, we got Ray Ora. What's up, Oofs? Jonathan Voiko's here.
1: Hello, everybody. <laughs>
0: Not joining us in studio today, but we are really, really lucky to have him joining us. Fellow movie YouTuber, Sean Chandler is joining us today. Sean, yeah. Sean, how are you doing, sir? I am doing great. I am excited to talk movies way too much with you. And uh, it it is good to have you here, man. I've been wanting to have you on for a while, and and it was really good that we had the opportunity to do that today. But most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big... Big thing I want to make sure you guys know for sure is that this is primarily a podcast, really. So you guys got to make sure that you are also subscribed to our podcast feed. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever your favorite podcasting app of choice is. Go and subscribe to the podcast. So it's got the main show. It's also got open mic on the feed as well. So the audio only version will be there when you need it. All right, guys. With all that down now out of the way, we're going to jump right into it here. We're going to start with this. You know, going into CinemaCon this past April at, uh, in Las Vegas, at Caesars Palace, always look forward to it. Now, we knew that Ridley Scott's new movie, Napoleon, was coming, <laughs> with Joaquin Phoenix fresh off his Academy Award win. And eh, I admit, my expectations were muted. I mean, Ridley Scott is an iconic Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame director, for sure. But, you know, his last period piece, I believe it was called The Last Duel, I didn't mind it, but it it wasn't great. And then his movie after that, House of Gucci. I liked it more than most people, but I didn't think it was great. But particularly the period piece one, so I, I didn't have a lot of expectation. Well, then they showed us this big presentation for it at CinemaCon, and it blew my mind. I absolutely loved it. It, it looked like Ridley Scott was back at the height of his powers. like It it almost had like a gladiator kind of DNA to it in a way and really leaning a lot on Joaquin Phoenix's acting capabilities, which are, of course, extensive. They dropped the first trailer for it. It was great. And they just dropped a new one. And it's fantastic. Now, look, I'm going to tell you this right now. I am, generally speaking, not a big fan of... Period piece movies using modern music in their trailers. I, I I'd rather hear like an orchestra score or something like that for a period piece sort of thing. So with them bringing in and playing like a modern piece of music with the trailer, that put me off at first. But the more the longer I watch the trailer, it's like this is actually enhancing the trailer. This is working with the trailer. For me, Vanessa Kirby looks like she's gonna kick the living crap out of this movie. I I mean, she just looks fantastic in this. I cannot wait to see Joaquin Phoenix and her playing off of each other. And again, I really do hope that this is what it looks like. A true return to form for Ridley Scott, one of the all-time greats, who over the past 15 years or so has turned out, let's be honest, his fair share of crap. But... We've also got things like, what movie, Ray? The Martian Baby. The Martian Baby. (laughs) The best movie ever. (laughs) We We got our dose of that, and hopefully this is a return to that form. Sean, you had a chance to take a look at this trailer for Napoleon. What have your expectations been for this movie, and what did you think of this trailer spot we got? Well, as you said, the
2: last several years... Ridley Scott hasn't put out, for me, some of his better films or the ones I've connected with all that much. But with this movie, you've got one of the best directors of the last 50 years, one of the best and most interesting actors of his generation, tackling one of the most fascinating men of the last several hundred years. This is like all of the ingredients for something awesome. And then even beyond that, the last time Ridley Scott and Joaquin Phoenix teamed up, It was gladiator. They're returning to that genre that was so good that Ridley Scott just knocked it out of the park with, and you see this trailer and it's that again, it's Mm, that epic sweeping nature. The battle scenes have all of these shots that just stand out with the horse running through and he swings the sword at the guy's head, the horse running out on the ice. They're just these great shots that stand out to you. Like with The Last Duel, they tried to tease that maybe it was going to be this big, some war scenes in there. There's like 30 seconds of war scenes and it's like a drama. This feels like a true return to this gigantic, sweeping, epic war film with an amazing central character played by an amazing
0: actor. I mean, I particularly love that shot, too, when he's standing up there. It's obviously his coronation. He's like, I found the, the crown in the gutter, and I place it on my own head. That I mean, that's a taste of Napoleon. Nobody was worthy to put the crown on his head, so he had to place the crown on his own head. I cannot wait to see this movie. Hopefully, it lives up to the expectations. I, I admittedly have gone into a couple of Ridley Scott films the last number of years with some pretty high expectations and walked away a little bit disappointed, but... This looks like it's just on another level. All right. With that down, guys, let's go on and talk about this. Speaking of movies that we're really excited about, the brand new Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro film, Killers of the Flower Moon, is finally here. It's opening this weekend. But are people actually amped to run out and see it? And how well can it do at the box office? And that is the theme of today's Mint Mobile Hotline Question of the Day. Listen, guys, if you've got a topic or question for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile Hotline number anytime, 24-7. Don't worry about, you know, you know the uh, charges or anything. Ryan Reynolds will take care of that himself personally. Call us at 951-268-4259. And again, today's question is about Killers of the Flower Moon. Check it out.
2: Hey, John and crew. So Killers of the Flower Moondrops this week, and I'm a big fan of Scorsese and the cast and crew all look great. The film looks like it's going to be a Oscar nominee. And the only thing holding me back is that I just am not in the mood to see three hours of indigenous people screwed with and killed. I don't. Go to a movie to walk out feeling angry, depressed, and wanting to hurt someone. Do you think that that is going to hurt the box office? the subject matter? I mean that's it.
0: Take care. All right, Kevin, thanks a lot for calling that in. And you know it's it's always an interesting question because movies as a form of art, you know I always say what are movies? They are experiential events, right? particularly and specifically their emotional experiences that movies provide and different movies provide different sort of emotional stimulus, whether it's excitement or dread or fear or joy or disgust or fear or whatever, right? Movies and different films and different pieces of art are all designed to elicit that sort of an emotional experience. The worst thing that a movie can do is not deliver an emotional experience but different movies deliver different types Horror movies aim to give us a different sort of emotional experience than say the 40 year old virgin aims to give us just like killers of the flower moon. I'm sure is aimed to give us a different kind of an emotional experience than say joy ride was, or maybe the nun Two was, or what have you. And I think on that level, it's going to succeed now, the question is always going to be, is there going to be a good chunk of the audience that doesn't want that type of an emotional experience? See, I got to tell you, and be honest with you, I just love what, when a movie can succeed in eliciting out of me that emotional response, when a movie can give me that emotional experience, on whichever emotion it's kind of prodding at, I will usually walk out very satisfied, like, for example, Schindler's List, a movie I watched once. I can never watch it again. I, I've never seen it a second time. I probably never will. But my God, the emotional experience it gave me when I watched it—I don't know that I want it again. But I remember it just—it just filled me with that. Uh, the Catherine Bigelow movie Detroit did that for me as well. Like it just—it overwhelmed me with the emotional experience I had. But you know, I wasn't looking forward to repeating it <laughs> at the same time. So, will there be some people that it turns off? Probably, but in a movie like this, some of that disturbing stuff, I would actually make the argument is necessary for a storyteller to put us as an audience in a place for something that comes later. Like there are sometimes movies where we don't truly, like they can intellectually or through dialogue explain the protagonist's state of mind. But if you can show us why our protagonist is in that state of mind. If you can have us as the audience maybe experience the emotions that the antagonist felt to lead them to the state of their mind that they're in, it draws us deeper into the movie. I'm not talking about gratuitous, unnecessary stuff, but I mean, in a movie like Killers of the Flower Moon, I think for us to really understand the story, on a certain level, some of us are going to have to experience the horror of what the people in the movie are experiencing for us to kind of get it. So will it keep some people away? Yes, but I would argue every movie will keep some people away. Some people aren't into action movies. And so if they're looking like a movie's going to be a thrill-delivering kind of film, they might avoid it. Some people aren't into rom-coms or, or whatever. Now, right now, the box office projections for Killers of the Flower Moon are 25 to 30 million dollars which is not great. It's not great. But it could be one of those movies that you know does like an Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer did have a big opening weekend, but beyond its opening weekend, it had incredible legs and people just went back to it again and again and again. And that is something that some Martin Scorsese movies have done at the box office, and maybe this can be it. Now, we're lucky... Because we've got somebody on the show with us right now who I believe, because I'm going to go see it tonight, but I believe we got somebody on the show right now who has seen Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, Sean, I believe you have seen it. How would you respond to Kevin's question there about, you know, some people may not want to go and have that sort of experience. Will it keep people away from the theaters? Uh, what did you think about the movie overall? And do you think it's going to keep some people away?
2: So uh, first off, I would say that his question is very much founded. It is it's a gut punch movie where you feel like you are getting punched in the gut for a lot of this movie because it's just so uh, grotesque what was done to these people. But it's its a really interesting film because it's such a specific moment in time where there are these interesting power dynamics where these indigenous people had the money, but the white uh, American Society had control of the banks, hospitals, police, and they wanted the money. And so there's this corruption going on that makes for this captivating, just utterly brutal, brutal story. But it's a great movie. Naturally, it's Scorsese telling a compelling story with an amazing cast. Naturally, it's, it's probably going to be really good. But will that keep some people away? I was watching the movie thinking to myself, oh, my wife would hate this. There's no way my <laughs> wife would want to see this. And I, I got about two hours into the movie and I was about, if this doesn't start to turn around, if there's not some sense of justice, I think I hate this movie. Now, by the end of it, I was like, Oh, this was great. Cause it, it's, it's able to find resolution without compromising the actual integrity of the horrific things happening, but it, it's really intense and you should feel sick to your stomach watching this film with what truly happened to these people. But like I dropped off my daughter at, daycare today and the person one of you was like hey sean i saw you saw killers of the flower moon was it any good and i was like well i don't know if you'll like it it's really heavy that was the conversation that i had and she was like i don't even know what the movie's about and I'm like well it's about the oppression of these people trying to steal their murder money by a murder conspiracy to take out their whole family She's like oh wow that sounds really heavy I'm like That's not going to be for everyone. That's what makes it so great and so compelling and so interesting. But absolutely, this is a movie that will be alienating for some people because of the length and the subject matter. But even another conversation I had when I posted that I went to go see it, I got a message on my post about it from random lady. I know I live in the suburbs of Texas. And this lady goes, oh, my husband is so jealous that you're going to see this. He can't wait to watch it but he's not willing to, he's too cheap to see it at the theater. He was thought it would drop on streaming this weekend. Oh. So he can't wait to see it. He didn't know it wasn't on streaming too. And this these two people I talked to, the lady at daycare, the lady in the comment section, these are just totally average, normal people. They're not like us that go to the internet to talk movies. And it's on their radar. Like these are two people I would not have thought of that would be like, hey, Sean, tell me about the new Scorsese film. And they're the two people that commented. So there is a certain awareness there's a curiosity, but there's some confusion about is it in theaters are just streaming. People don't know the trailers didn't. I didn't know what the movie was about really going into it. And I'd seen the trailers. I hadn't seen all the trailers because I kind of wanted to go with some history. But I didn't really know from the first trailer what exactly the film was about. And so I think there's a little bit of confusion on the plot. It is very long. There's a lot of elements kind of
0: factoring into this that that could push some people away. I'm going to say this. uh, One of our live viewers, Malati, just made a really interesting comment. She says, Scorsese never lives in the comfort zone. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is a very accurate thing. Now, how will it do on its opening weekend? The projections are so-so. What kind of legs will it have? We'll have to wait and see as it faces Taylor Swift in its (laughs) second weekend. All right. Guys, with that down, let's talk about this, shall we? Speaking of Taylor Swift and, of course, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon about to go up against Taylor Swift in its second weekend, there's been a big discussion that has come up about movie theater etiquette. Now, you guys know me. I I have a very firm set of beliefs about movie theater etiquette. But, you know, with the Taylor Swift concert, A lot of people are dancing and singing and all that kind of stuff, but should they be? And that is the topic of the next Mint Mobile hotline question is that, should people be acting like this in a movie like this?
1: Check it out. One second, guys. Just one second. Almost there. We're going to talk about it. We will. I promise. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes things happen. We weren't ready to go. And, and, you know, (gasps) here we go. All right. Hey, John, and everybody.
2: This is Calvin. I'm in Oregon. And I have a question I've been wondering. Uh, with the Taylor Swift film that's come out, she's been encouraging people to treat it like a concert with dancing in the aisles. You know, your phone light on and all that stuff. And there's now a controversy of whether that should actually go on in a movie theater. Tell me what your thoughts are. And thank you. And keep up the good work.
0: Calvin, thank you so much for calling that in. And... Yeah, look, I remember when the words first started going out that movie theaters were actually going to suspend what they would normally say is etiquette for a particular movie or being in a movie theater. And Taylor Swift herself, like you mentioned, was actually encouraging people to treat it like you're at the concert. Get up, dance, sing along, have a good time. There was actually a pretty, you know, wholesome kind of video that started rolling around yesterday of Taylor Swift in a local movie theater with some of her friends and a crowded auditorium acting like she wasn't Taylor Swift and dancing and sing along with everybody else. I remember when I went to a, they did a re-release of the greatest showman, which is like low key. One of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. I love the greatest showman, but they did kind of a re-release of it and I went into it and the people were then this re-release, they were getting up and dancing and singing along and all that kind of stuff. Look, I love going to the movies because there are events, right? I love being in Avengers Endgame and having Steve, hear Sam say, on your left and portals opening and all these heroes coming through and watching the theaters erupt. Movies are events And sometimes I love being in an environment where everybody is outwardly expressing what I'm feeling inwardly. It can be a lot of fun. Now, of course, that is confined. There are moments for that. You don't want people talking through dialogue. You don't want people being disruptive, all that kind of stuff. But I would propose that something like a concert movie, which Is not really narrative driven, not really heavy on plot where the people who are the primary targets for this movie are the ones who are going to want to go and dancing. You know, Chris Carr brought up a great point yesterday when she said a lot of the people going to see these movies are the people who didn't have the $700 to go watch the live show. So this is going to be their, you know, kind of stand in for going to the live show and having a good time. Do I think that should normally be the decorum in a movie theater? Absolutely not. Is there an argument to be made that people getting up and hooting and hollering and dancing around is keeping some people away from going to it? Yes. But it's also the thing that's attracting a lot of these people going to it. So in general, I think this is one of these movies that you just say, yeah, we make an exception. These people are going to party. They're going to go. They want to go and have a good time.
1: And you know what? (laughs) This shot is crazy.
0: And they just go up to the front and have a good time. You know what? God
1: bless them. But you can't, you cannot be in that theater and be like, I can't believe this ruckus. Everyone sit down. Like you you know what you're signing up for. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah, it's true. What's the old man doing in the theater anyways? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, old guy that was Rob. Right. Anyway, right.
2: It's probably Rob. <laughs> so my wife and I thought about going this weekend and we're like, uh, we don't have any kids with us. Would that be too weird if there's two 40 year olds showed up with all the teenagers. <laughs> and we're, we were like, we wanted to see the, the noise, the loudness, the crowd. Right. And we were also <laughs> like, I think we're afraid of that. We were like, it was the exact thing that drew us and the exact thing that scared us away. But I I think what you said is exactly right. There's kind of two different things. There's natural etiquette of a movie. And I'm in Austin, Texas. We got Alamo Draft House everywhere. There's a lot of that sense of decorum in going to movie theaters here of natural normative behavior and reacting to what you're seeing. Yes. mm -hmm, And having actual reaction. Last month, I went to go see uh, a Bollywood film, Patan. Opening night first showing Packed Theater. And anytime one of the, the new characters, actors showed up on screen, people were whistling, they were hooting and hollering. And it was so fun, so much so that tonight I'm taking my wife to go see the opening night of a new Indian film tonight so she can be a part of that experience. But it's an experience, it's people actually so excited to be present in this movie with other things. It is a communal experience. And that has two sides to it. How are people reacting in this community, but also respecting the people around you appropriately?
0: Uh, Yeah. So again, I think for something like this, this is a totally appropriate thing for an event Mm -hmm. like this. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that should be normal. I don't think anybody who goes to these Taylor Swift concert movies are thinking this is how they can then behave when they go see Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. (laughs) No, I don't think they're going to do that. So I, I think it's all okay. All right, guys, with that down, we still got to talk about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, firing to the top of the digital charts, Tom Hardy and Austin Butler's new movie, The Bike Riders, getting booted off of its release date, and those first images of Avatar The Last Airbender. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second here, guys, and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode, our friends at Rocket Money and Quip. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Rocket Money. Did you know that the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and they might not even remember to subscribing to half of those? If you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. I recently just found out that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about. Seriously, think about how many free trials you subscribe to that you just probably never canceled. And that's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money, because I was one of those people. When I signed up to Rocket Money, I was stunned to find out that a gym I had belonged to in another city I lived in, I had still been paying my dues to for over two years. Also, that music subscription service I use, yeah, I forgot I was subscribed to two other ones. That's where Rocket Money comes in because Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved on average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to RocketMoney.com/Campia. That's RocketMoney.com/Campia. RocketMoney.com/Campia. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video. Quip. Guys, good health starts with good habits, and Quip makes taking care of your oral health easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. They've got an incredible electric toothbrush with time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. Guys, it's my favorite toothbrush I've ever owned. And who likes flossing? I I don't, but this water flosser hits all the right spots with gentle or deep cleaning pressure at the touch of a button. But guys, then there was an additional surprise. Quip also supplies mints and gums that are fantastic. Every time you pop one of their new mints, you'll be caring for your mouth inside and out. Bold mint flavor keeps your breath confidently fresh and you'll get a boost of vitamin D. And their gum prevents cavities and freshens breath when chewed for like 20 minutes after eating. It's sugar-free, is tooth-friendly, and has zero calories. So guys, if you go to getquip.com campia right now, you'll get 20% off any electric toothbrush mint and gum dispenser and water flosser that's your 20 off any electric toothbrush mint and gum dispenser water floss at getquip.com slash campia spelled g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash campia quip the good habits company and thank you to our friends at rocket money and quip for sponsoring this episode of the john Campia show podcast all right guys with that all down let's move on to this next thing shall we Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning has shot to the top of all the major digital charts. iTunes, Google Play, Vudu, it's all there, number one. Now, that's good to see, and honestly, not that surprising. It does kind of bring up the question a little bit, though, about that we're still asking. I think the entire industry is still asking. Coming off of the insane success of Top Gun Maverick, why did Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 it's fair to say underperform i mean it still made what close to 500 million didn't it what did it make
1: 567 made? million
0: 500 i mean it still made 567 million a lot of films would kill to make 567 million and look it's not like the mission impossible franchise and we've pointed this out before no mission impossible movie has ever made a billion dollars i don't know why people are expecting it to make a billion but we're probably safe to say a lot of thought, a lot of us thought it could get 700 maybe 800 maybe even 900 million but it came out at about around a little over 500 million, just short of 600 million. But still, again, number one the charts on iTunes, on Google Play, and on Vudu all of them. Actually, all the charts kind of look alike. This is basically how the charts broke down this week. At number 1 it was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. At number 2 was The Equalizer 3, which a lot of people didn't even know came out on on digital. What did Equalizer 3 make, right? That's uh 176. So million. way less than Mission Impossible did, but still comes in at number 2. Never Doubt the Power of Denzel. At number three was, oh my God, one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life, (laughs) The Expendables 4. At number four is Barbie, which has been out for a while already. At number five, Talk to Me, which is great. At number six, No Hard Feelings, which I also quite enjoyed. At number seven, Gran Turismo, which is better than I thought it had any business being. At number eight, The Nun 2. At number nine, Blue Beetle. Couldn't make any money in the theaters, still can't make any money on digital. And still, months in, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse comes in at the number 10 spot. I should point out, this is specifically the iTunes chart we're looking at. The Google and the Voodoo charts were basically the same. Some were swapped a little bit here and there, but basically speaking, this was it. Anyway, Sean, let me ask you this. I mean, I think we're all still doing a bit of a Mm post-mortem on the results of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Not the best Mission Impossible movie, but I enjoyed it. I I had a good time watching it. Why do you think it is, as we look back further on it now, that prevented this movie from having more box office success? And why do you think it was still, regardless, able to hit number one on the digital charts right now? How did you see that?
2: Yeah, as you said, it is a mystery. Like, coming off Fallout, which got great reviews and was loved by fans and made a bunch of money and Top Gun Maverick, I assumed it was a safe bet that this would be a great performer for the franchise. And then it simply wasn't, even though this movie got great reviews and also was well received by the fans. I, I wonder some of it is that I had so many people message me, which previous mission impossible movies do I need to watch to understand this film? And I was like, there's a lot of callbacks. You probably need to watch several movies yeah. and people don't want to have to do six movies of homework to see a movie when they can wait a week and go see Barbie. And so I think some of it's that. It's a year where there were just too many sequels, reboots, remakes, and it was the seventh movie in a franchise that's almost 30 years old. Once again, you can wait a week and see Oppenheimer or Barbie. And so I just kind of got lost in a busy season where people didn't want to do homework. But it's, <laughs> I think it's it is really one of those things where I just, I don't understand it. But likewise, why is it number one? for the same reason. It's, it's Mission Impossible. Of course it was going to be number one. Expendables 4 wasn't going to beat it. Um, and so <laughs> you know, even like Equalizer 3 that's one that, that's one of those films that I think has like a hidden audience. It's another one where average people in my normal life that never ask me about movies were like hey, was the new Terminator movie really good? I was like, new Terminator movie? What are you talking about? You mean the new Equalizer movie? Yeah, yeah, the new Equalizer movie. Was it any good? It's like, yeah, it's, it's an Equalizer movie. You'll get exactly what you want from it. So no surprise it's at number one. And probably a lot of people are catching up now that they could have done the homework to be able to understand it fully.
0: You know, you raise a really good point that I think maybe we've underplayed for a while is that it, it really much was a movie that you had to do homework to really get mm-hmm. the franchise. And, and it's not a relatively new franchise. Like we can talk about the MCU and say there are some MCU. It, it never used to be that you had to do homework to watch an MCU movie. Now you do. But even then, it's only like, 10 years worth of MCU. And you bring up a great Mm -hmm. point about the fact that this is like a 30 year old franchise at this point, there's a lot of ground to cover. And for a lot of people, this was their dad's movie franchise, I guess. So, but here's a question for you. We've got dead reckoning part two coming out. Does it do better than part one did? Does it continue to decline? What do you think part two is going to do?
2: I think so much of it is about can they pick a better release window uh, where in the case of this movie, it wasn't it, it was a movie that had kind of homework, but it was also in a season where it's a week after Insidious movies and there's uh, 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 Nolan movies and DCEU and Pixar. There's all of these movies that are part of these big, gigantic franchises that people feel like they're there's more than just the movie itself. It was such a busy window. I mean, from March Until mid-August, every single week, we were getting something big. And so if they could find a window where it can actually be the thing that gets the marketing, the interviews. Well, even on that point, I guess it came out right as the actor strike started. So you had to cut off the amount of appearances that Tom Cruise could do right as that pivotal moment where he needed to stand out. So I think a lot of that ties into it. And people that were able to do play catch up on so much of the homework to watch this one at home, don't need to do it next time. So I, but I don't know because I was so shocked
0: at how this movie underperformed. I think a lot of people were. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? One of the films that has really come on my radar as the trailers have started to drop is the new Tom Hardy, Austin Butler film, The Bike Riders. Now, I admit, part of the reason is because Sons of Anarchy is like one of my top three all-time favorite television shows. So there's a little bit about that. And where Austin Butler coming off a big Academy Award nomination for Best Lead Actor for his performance in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, in which he was fantastic. You got Tom Hardy that I pretty much love him in everything. Jodie Comer, who I also think is pretty much awesome in everything. She burst onto the scene with Killing Eve and has been killing it all ever since. Well, this movie was supposed to come out December 1st. Remember the last trailer just dropped a little bit ago, December 1st, coming into theaters. Well, no, it's not. And there's two big reasons why, one of which they're acknowledging and one of which they're not. Uh, this comes us from the folks at Variety who write the following. The Bike Riders, a drama starring Austin Butler, Jodie Comer, and Tom Hardy, and directed by Jeff Nichols, by the way, he's really good, uh, has been uh, indefinitely postponed amid the ongoing actor strike. Disney and 20th Century uh, were scheduled to open the film on December 1st, but it's been taken off the calendar for now. Recent releases such as Sony's GameStop, Uh, stock frenzy inspired dumb money and Kenneth Branagh's Agatha Christie adaptation of a haunting in Venice struggled at the box office, at least in part because their star studded films couldn't get a boost from their cast on the press circuit. So you're talking about movies here. Like, and I think the GameStop one is a great example of that GameStop. Nobody went to go see it. So, not GameStop. Dumb Dumb money. money. The movie about GameStop. What a shame too. Absolute shame. That movie was wonderful. I I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed that movie, Mm -hmm. but nobody, and I mean nobody, went to go see it, and part of it has to be attributed to, part of it has to be attributed to, the fact that Paul Dano, who's Saturday Night Live boy? Played Uh, his brother. uh, Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson, (laughs) Nick Offerman. You know, you, you couldn't get these stars to go out and actually promote the movie Mm -hmm. and it suffered
1: because if they were sending like clips out on like Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and stuff like that and they were promoting people like oh this
0: looks really good yeah, shows which weren't even on the air
1: yeah and
0: then a haunting in Venice was actually not very good but it would have done a lot better if you could have had you know reigning Academy Award winner Michelle Yeoh and others get out there and promote the film so they're sitting there and say, look, we got Tom Hardy. We got three of the hottest performers out there in this movie. Tom Hardy. We got uh, uh, Jodie Comer. We got Austin Butler. I think Michael is in this movie. Uh, Norman Reedus. Norman Reedus, is, which is perfect casting for that. Norman Reedus is in the film. I mean, you've got a big, big lineup of big stars that you can send out and promote this movie. And without them being able to do it, they know it's going to hurt their box office. So they're acknowledging that. But there's one other thing that I believe is a part of the reason why they're moving this movie and they're not talking about it. Ray, do you know what other movie is now suddenly out of nowhere supposed to open on December 1st?
1: Uh, um, is it Beyonce?
0: That's right. Whoa. The Queen. <laughs> Beyonce. And after what everybody just saw, Taylor Swift did at the box office, making 100, nearly $100 million on its opening weekend. I I, I don't think they really... Now, don't get me wrong. If there was no actor strike right going on right now, I think they probably would keep the release date. But you combine the actor strike with the fact that out of nowhere, they just announced when the bike riders had that release date set for a while and out of nowhere, they announced Beyonce's going to come out and Taylor Swift just ripped it up at the box office. I think that had to play into it a little bit too. Anyway, Sean, uh, I have really come to the point that I'm looking forward to this movie quite a bit. I have really liked the trailers. I love the cast. Obviously I'm a sons of anarchy fan. So I'm a fan of the subject matter. What do you think about their decision to postpone it? Do you think maybe they could have pushed forward with the release anyway? How long do you think we're going to have to wait for it? And what's your anticipation level like for this movie? Yeah. So this is one of these ones
2: that I'd seen the Twitter buzz around it, but I, I didn't see the trailer till I was sitting in a theater And didn't even know what trailer I was watching. I was like, oh, this is this is nice. I like this vibe and just seeing Austin Butler and something was like, oh, I'm excited to check this one out. And it's actually playing at the Austin Film Festival next week. So I I might be able to see it in about a week. But um, I mean, I feel like some of this is that there's just no box office momentum right now outside of Taylor Swift. You talked about dumb money. I was I was interested in seeing because of the subject matter. I loved the trailer. I didn't go see the movie. I missed it. And I talk about movies for a living. (laughs) And it was just one of those ones that kind of like fell through the cracks and even kind of confused the release date a little bit. But when there's not kind of box office momentum of people going to the theaters and seeing trailers in front of movies and talk shows with actors on there, just the overall momentum drops that that even that activity, that pattern of going to the movies on a regular basis starts to fade away. And this isn't going to be the movie that excites people to like, go to this, the, the movies again. And it feels like that momentum's not coming back in the near future. So the idea that they can't promote it, the, the ways that you normally do with actors. And then if you, I didn't even realize the Beyonce thing, but that makes sense that they would delay it. And, I would guess it won't be delayed too much if they're able to resolve the strike in the near future. It'll come out early 2024. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that Taylor Swift thing just, they, they moved an exorcist film as soon as they saw Taylor Swift was going to that. Immediately they moved it off and they were wise to do so because Taylor Swift did three times the money. And so I think there has to be some element to that of like bike riders can't even nearly compete <laughs> in that play field. So um,
0: it makes sense to me, but I'm excited to check it out when it happens. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this final topic here, shall we? You know, uh, there was a lot of excitement got generated when they announced that Netflix was going to be doing a live action version of Avatar The Last Airbender. Now we've had live action version of avatar the last airbender don't know if you knew about that and it was a masterpiece all of you guys just don't know how to appreciate good art of course i'm kidding it the was the word garbage. cinema
1: comes yeah, it, to mind. Was, it was
0: <laughs> cinema as martin scorsese would say um, and of course it was terrible and but you know what other than hbo netflix who does a terrible job with their original movies but their original series are often mm-hmm. really great And they announced that they were doing it. And a while ago, we got the cast announcement. We got our first bunch of pictures of the cast. But now they've released actual shots from the show, the live action show. And I got to tell you, now I was late. I admit I was late to the Avatar The Last Airbender party. I didn't watch it until the pandemic hit. Like the pandemic hit, we were all at home, and I said, you know what? It's about time for me to watch Avatar The Last Airbender. And I quite enjoyed it. I, I really got a kid. I liked it more than I did Korra, but that's another debate for another time. But I really did like Avatar The Last Airbender. And now we got our first bit of pictures. I just going to tell you, I love them. Let's let's take a look at some of these. First of all, oh my God. I loved hearing that Daniel Day Kim was going to be playing Fire Lord Ozai. I, I loved hearing it. Look at him, <laughs> guys! Look at Daniel take him as Fire Lord Ozai. Oh my God, that looks so good! It's fire, baby. He looks menacing and awesome, <laughs> like similar to the animated in all the right ways, but different from Please. the animated in all the right ways. I I just look at this image. Now, granted, granted, let me put this out there: these are just still images. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm only talking about the still images. Maybe the show will suck, but I'm just talking about the still images. And I I just think Dante Kim, man, as Ozai looks, absolutely phenomenal. All right, let's take a look at this next one that they All put right. out there. The next one we got here is the guy whose announcement of him being in this got me the most excited, the absolute most excited Uncle Hero, played <laughs> by Paul Sung Hyung Lee. Of course, Mr. Kim from Kim's Convenience. Yeah. And of course, he's in the Star Wars universe Mm -hmm. right now in the Mandalorian. He was just in Ahsoka as well as an X-Wing captain. But I love Paul Sung Hyung Lee. He is a major geek boy at heart. He is a good Canadian kid, by the way. (laughs) And when they announced that he was going to be playing Uncle General Iroh, I got super excited And when this image came across my screen, I'm like, oh, my God, yes. Can you imagine? Look, I'm one of these guys that says, hey, when you do an adaptation, it doesn't have to be 100% like the original material. Actually, it shouldn't be 100% like the original material. you got to put some uniqueness to it. But I'm going to weep if they don't do some iteration of when he's singing the song and you find out the song is about his dead son like that there have been very few moments in an animated TV show that has moved me as emotionally for those of you who have watched Avatar as when you realize he's going around town singing this song making kids smile and then you realize as he's sitting by himself he's singing the song again and he pulls out the picture of his dead son and you're like and he's singing about soldier come home I'm getting emotional right now Thinking about it, and to see him playing this is going to be stellar. All right, let's move on to the next one here. All right. Next one up, we've got, ah, yes, Azula being played by actress Elizabeth Yu. I think she looks great. Uh, Different from the animated stuff, but by the way, I also want to point this out. Maybe this is because we, we carry Designing Hollywood, and we talk a lot on our channel about costume design. I love the costume designs here and the costume design on Azuli here, I think looks just wonderful. I think that's going to be great. All right, let's move on to the next one. And this is one that a lot of people have been waiting to see Prince Zuku. I think he just looks bang on. I, I think he just looks bang on. I, I think now I was expecting them to do a little bit more with the, the burn effect. But I think it's going to be impactful. I think it's going to work. So I really like what I'm seeing. And then I believe finally what we got, Ken Young as Commander Zhao. Uh, If you saw him, you know, he was in that horrible, 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 horrible Inhumans show. But he was pretty good. He was also in one of my favorite shows last few years, The Blacklist. Of course, you guys will remember that he popped up in The Force Awakens as well. He's done a lot of stuff. Um, He's great. And I think he's going to be wonderful uh, as Commander Zhao. Anyway, I just, I love the the color palette that they've chosen. I think the costume design is bang on. I'm loving the look of the characters. Now, again, if this is a bad script and badly done, all of this stuff that makes these images great isn't going to help the show. I am just talking about the images. But damn it, if these images don't make me excited. I got to tell you, I'm getting pretty stoked for this. Anyway, Sean, you had a chance to see these first images for Avatar The Last Airbender. You and I have never talked about this. Did you watch the original Avatar stuff? What do you think about the images we're seeing? What do you think? So I've seen uh, the first season-ish of the show, watched it with my kids,
2: and then I got distracted. It wasn't that we stopped watching because we didn't enjoy it or weren't interested. There's just a lot of things out there to watch. So I'm I'm somewhat familiar. But the big thing that comes to mind for me is when I remember when they first dropped the first trailer for the movie. And at the time, I didn't know the animated show. And I was like, what is this? This looks so goofy and campy (laughs) and strange. And it just looked off and not believable at all and you look at these images and they look right they look like a plausible reality you don't see it and go oh yeah this is just a corny adaptation of an animated show no it looks like something that they tried to get it to even just look like truly look awesome and so as someone that's by no means an expert i see them i go oh looks like they're taking this seriously they're, they're trying to get it right.
0: You know, it's funny when I look at these, like to your point, this, when you look at M. Night's Avatar, the Last Airbender movie, right from the trailers, you could tell this is the adaptation of a cartoon, right? Exactly. When you look at these images, I'm like, they're trying to make a Game of Thrones out of mm-hmm. the yeah. Avatar, the Last Airbender kind of mythology. And, oh, that kind of excites me. That they're taking mm-hmm. that approach. So, whether
1: we're, Ray, you got you got thoughts on this? I, I'm just saying, you guys release images. We should be getting a trailer soon. You know, but I, I right? normally normally yes. But the one thing
0: is, I don't even think we have. I don't think they've put out an actual release date yet, have they? But maybe they'll
1: announce that with a trailer. Yeah, maybe. I'm just saying, I need moving pictures to actually give my opinion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's, that's what you used to
0: say, looking at dirty magazines yeah, too. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, there and you then go. they gave me video, <laughs> and, then, and then I got
1: a lock on my door.
0: <laughs> the teenage years of great aura.
1: Show took a left turn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, the question is for you. What do you think about the images we're seeing? I, I personally think they look really great. It d- won't necessarily translate into a great show, but at least this is a good start for me. All right. Guys, listen, it is time for us now to move on to start taking your questions. Now, we've already asked our beloved YouTube channel members to fire in a bunch of topics, and we're going to get to as many of those as we can. But if you are watching the show live right now, you guys can fire in a topic or question for us to address. Just go ahead and use the Super Chat feature, send that in, and we'll get to those. But before we do get to those, we're going to take just another moment and thank a couple of more sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at Fume and my mobile service provider, and they should be yours Mint Mobile. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Fume. Quitting cold turkey is great in theory, but you and I both know it's way more difficult than that. And that's why there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some fake online promises. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume. And they look at the problem in a different way. Instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavor air device that does just that. See, instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. I personally didn't know what to expect when I first got my fume. I mean, I've never liked vapes, but my goodness, the taste. The first time I tried it, I was completely sold on it. It was incredible. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 150,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. Join fume an accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the Journey Pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use the code Campia to save 10% off when you get the Journey Pack today. That's tryfume.com and use the code Campia to save an additional 10% off your order today. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video. Dot com slash Campia. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at MintMobile.com slash Campia. And thank you to our friends at Fume and Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode. All right, guys, with that down, let's get into your live questions, the things that you guys want to talk about. We're going to start off with you guys who are watching live and sending in those super chats. So, Jonathan, what do we got up first?
1: We have... Or- we have actually Purple Queen. Uh, greetings and salutations can be a crew. What are some of the best fan films you guys have seen?
0: Um, the best, to me, the best fan film of all time is Kevin Rubio's Troops. Um, it, it's one of the original fan films. It's still to this day, I believe, the best. Actually, Kevin was one of the guys who called in one of the hotlines earlier. Um, <laughs> but I still think that's like the best fan film of all time. But also there was another one. It was also a Star Wars one. hmm and they made two or three of them, but it's called, it's the name of the two guys, like Nerd Man and something. And it's just lightsaber fighting, Oh, okay. right? And it's, the lightsaber choreography was insanely good. If any of you guys in the live chat know the fan film that I'm thinking about, do you got one Can right? I
1: mention one? It's Dragon Ball, The Fall of Man. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but that's great. And also there was a Darth Maul uh, apprentice uh, uh um, fan film that someone did that I thought was really good. But those are the ones off the top of my head.
0: By the way, Gray Fox. Thank you, Gray Fox, in the live chat, who is reminding me, John, what about your fan film? Yes. Uh, me <laughs> and the guy who was the director of LucasArts, worked at Lucasfilm. His name's Paul Lenz. We made a fan film, wrote and directed a fan film called Rise of the Trades. It was a cross of The Godfather and Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. And we won awards <laughs> actually with that thing anyway but no Kevin Rubio's is still better all right what's next
1: okay orange hand why do you think the post gladiator early 2000s epic films like troy alexander etc uh or et cetera, didn't do well uh were they just not good or were there other factors no
0: they just weren't as good i mean i mean that's that's the thing they they just weren't as good i mean I'd gladiator i've never seen alexander and, and and alexander was actually pretty bad uh, I think there was a director's cut that some people say was a little bit better, uh-huh. but even like Troy, which, you know, you had Brad Pitt at the time, you had Orlando Bloom, you had uh, the original guy who played the Hulk. I can't. Banna, uh, Eric Banna. Banna Eric Banner, thank you. Right. Eric Banner, who was really hot for a while. Anyway, it's, it's just, you know, you have a movie come out. There's a blessing and a curse when you have a movie come out for a genre like Gladiator and like Lord of the Rings. Because like Gladiator came out and you think the sword and sandal movie is going to be here now. But the problem was none of them were going to be as good as Gladiator. Mm. And then you Mm have the Lord of the Rings films. A lot of people thought the the fantasy Mm -hmm. sorcery, you know, sword and sorcery fantasy films are going to explode now. But no studio wanted to be the film, put out the films that followed up Lord of the Rings because they weren't ever going to be as good. That's just me. Sean, you got any theories why we didn't see like... Whether it's like films like Gladiator or more of them or stuff like that after Gladiator happened.
2: I mean, I think it's exactly what you just said. I mean, Gladiator came out when I was a senior in high school. Everyone was so pumped to go see it. and We all loved it. And so I went opening weekend to go see Troy with that same excitement. And it was it was good. But I didn't rewatch Troy the same way I rewatched Gladiator. And just any like, it's not like a genre that you think of that actually has like a zillion stories that you want to tell. Like it is a big, engrossing genre as opposed to like very consumable stuff like it. These are experienced, big, gigantic movies. And you can only do so many of those,
0: by so the way, a bunch of people in the live chat. Remind me what that fan film was. Ryan versus Dorkman. Yeah, that, that was the fan films. Really great. The The lightsaber action is fantastic. You should check them out if you can find them. All right. What's next?
1: All right. Damaris Love writes, uh, you called it, John. Got a letter from Spectrum offering a bundle my, uh, to bundle my streaming services and pay them for it. It's called Zumo.
0: Yeah, I heard. I, I don't know the details. I heard Spectrum is doing that sort of thing. I got to look more into it. I'm not real familiar with it. Like, so we said a while ago, it's like, listen, guys, at some point, they're going to start bundling these streaming services. Now, obviously, Disney is already bundling things like ESPN, Hulu and Disney Plus because they own all of them. But a time is coming when somehow, some way they're going to figure out a way to bundle like non-associated channels as well. So I don't know if it's here imminently, but at some point it'll probably happen. All right. What's next?
1: Uh, we've got uh, Buck's Basement writes, the creators of Avatar left the live action because they did not agree with the showrunner. Sounds like this is another bebop uh, more than a one piece.
0: Here's the thing. A lot of people forget the original creators of the a- animated Avatar were also executive producers on the M. Night Shyamalan one. It, 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 look, I, 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 I say this with all due respect to the original source material. But when it comes to who knows better, what's going to make a better live action series, I do trust the people in Netflix more than I trust guys who have never made a live action television series. Now, that's not to say that it's going to be the greatest thing ever. Not to say it's going to be the worst thing ever. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be bad. But I think there are people out there who are give honestly, and I say this with all due respect, putting way too much emphasis on the fact, well, the original creators walked from it. Well, Show me something that they have done in live action TV that makes me really weigh what they had to say. They made a great skewing towards kids' cartoon show. Not just kids, but skewing towards kids' cartoon show. They did great at that. But I then I got a company here that's put out literally probably seven of my top 30 favorite TV shows of the past 15, 20 years. So not necessarily good, not necessarily bad, but I think way too many people are making that a topic of conversation
1: when it's probably a moot point, to be honest with you. that's just the way I see it. All right, what's next? TJ Perry writes, "Uh, Smile Farmers, have you seen House of Usher yet? Felt like Knives Out and Succession and fun, brutal horror mashed together. Highly recommend. I started watching it.
0: I've watched about three episodes now because Anne was watching it. And I said, by the way, how is this? A lot of people on my channel are writing in and telling me I should see it. She says, it's really good. I'm like, okay, let me start watching it. First of all, I was not prepared for how filthy this show is. <laughs> um, and I say this as somebody who loves the filthy. I love it. But I was not prepared for how filthy. And I, I mean, it's really good. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't like the trailers. I thought the trailers looked a little bit too obtuse, to be honest with you. And I was like, this doesn't just look all that interesting. Okay, like a succession mixed with maybe a supernatural horror. That's interesting. I got to tell you, every episode, I've seen the ending of three episodes now. I'm like, what? So Sean, have you had a chance to start watching this fall of the House of Usher yet? So I actually got to see this on the big screen at a theater at Fantastic
2: Fest a oh, few wow. weeks back. And I actually saw it sitting next to Perry Nemiroff. So it was a real cool and talked about it with her afterwards. It was a real cool little experience seeing it on the big screen. And we only got to watch two episodes. You get to the end of episode two and you're like, whoa, what <laughs> just happened? And then I had to wait weeks to be able to watch more of it. But I haven't continued because I'm not sure if my wife will like it because it is so filthy. But she also loves these types of like, and she doesn't like creepy stuff, but also all the family intrigue. I think she would love all of that. But, yeah, it is so good with interesting, lively characters, this weird mythology and so many like, what just happened? type Moments.
0: By the way, another thing I love about this show, Jonathan, you'll like this. Uh Uh-huh. It reinforces... My stone cold oh, belief yeah, here that we go. all cats are vile. Oh, yeah. Let me just and take a big drink of disgusting and evil uh, mug here.
1: Mm, Begone, cats! cats. Mm. All right, what's next? All right, uh, cat lovers writes. <laughs> Uh, Thomas Bombadil writes killers of the flower moon this week, Napoleon, Monarch and FAM in November, slow horses in December. Oh, is that coming back? Nice. Uh, masters of the air and Jan. And, uh, is it just me or is Apple killing it? Apple? Listen, Apple has been killing it.
0: Like they, they, was- I admit, I've said this before when they did a couple of years ago, that big announcement event, we're doing Apple TV plus, And they brought out the stars of their upcoming shows. I thought that was one of the most boring announcement events. I saw nothing that super interested me except for maybe Jason Momoa's C, which is like maybe the only Apple TV plus show I haven't liked. But once they started putting out their shows, like the morning show is way better than it has any business being mm-hmm. in, in my opinion and then you got uh severance and then they did shrinking which is like honestly I like shrinking even more than Ted Lasso with and Harrison Ford hasn't been this good in like over a decade uh if you guys haven't watched shrinking Jason Segel Harrison Ford you got to watch it it's so freaking good and of course Ted Ted Lasso and it's, they just keep doing it they are taking the quality over quantity approach and uh yeah man right now they are really crushing it and it's part of the reason why i'm not saying they will but i'm just saying don't be surprised if in like three months we wake up to news and variety apple acquires disney i i'm i'm just throwing i'm just saying don't be shocked if we hear that
1: all right what's next Orange Hand is back and says, a documentary about Shohei Otani is coming to Disney Plus November 17th.
0: Yeah, they're moving real quick. Sports documentary stuff has been really big. Uh, Jason Kelsey of the two Kelsey brothers had his documentary right out on uh, Amazon. It instantly became the number one all-time documentary streaming on Amazon. Uh, Pretty crazy. Also, a few people in the live chat saying, John, how can you forget about Foundation? That's another thing Apple TV Plus is doing. Incredible. Yeah, John. I've seen none of that Severance. yet. Severance. How can you... I, I mentioned Severance. A- invasion. <laughs> for all man, forget Invasion. For All Mankind. That's for Apple, right? Mankind, yeah. That's it's, one you guys will love. Yeah, yeah there all you right. go. What's Don't next? Don't worry.
1: Invasion will creep up on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Raymond Verada writes, about the Taylor Swift movie. Swifties were dancing and singing, even standing close to the screen. Only John Schnepp sits close to the screen, man. <laughs> That brought back a memory. Uh, I saw someone stole the Taylor era era's what, <laughs> what? Oh, that that probably is pretty common, actually. That, that probably uh.
0: happens a lot. You know what? It's funny,
1: because Sean mentioned
0: going to a, a Bollywood film. I remember uh, it was very, very early in the Collider era. Uh, Schnepp and I went to go see a Bollywood superhero film. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was part three. It was something, something, three. I had not seen part one or part two, but Schnepp and I went to go see it, and it was one of the pure, rowdiest crowds I had (laughs) ever seen.
1: Yeah. Like I
0: had ever seen. And so when Sean was describing his experience at uh, at the theater, it just reminded me of that a lot. All right,
1: what's next? All right, Taz writes. Um, hey, can't be a crew. Today is my birthday. Happy
0: birthday.
1: Just wanted to send uh some love to my favorite podcast. Have a fantastic day. And it's a $20 super chat. And sending
0: like a $20 super. Ted, thank you so much. And happy birthday, man. May you have a glorious birthday and a fantastic year ahead of you, filled with victory and triumph. And we're really honored that you'd spend part of your birthday here with us, man. Thank you so much for that. All right, what's next?
1: Svein writes, uh, just started to rewatch of Sh- uh, Sherlock. Damn, this show is good. Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman are perfect as Holmes and Watson. I like their take on it.
0: Never really got into it. I remember twice I went, you know, I got to watch Benedict's Holmes. And I would watch like the first 10 minutes. And I'm like, am I sure I'm watching the right thing? Like, I, because like, I didn't see Sherlock or anything, and I just never got into it. But everybody I know who watches it says they really like it. So at some point I got to get around to doing that. All right, what's next?
1: Patrick Book writes, John, what's your favorite Tobey Maguire performance?
0: Ooh. I mean, listen, it, it's, I, I'm not trying to just be a geek boy or anything, but Spider Man 2 to this day remains arguably one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. I mean, he's done, he's more than just Spider Man, but it's hard for me to say anything other than that one, Sean, what, what about you? Like if you're thinking about Tobey Maguire, what would you say his favorite, your favorite performance of his is?
2: I don't know. I mean, I would just have to go to Spider-Man, but that's, it's such a special film for me. Uh, The Spider-Man 2002 was the first movie I saw in the theater after my dad died. And so it became one of those um, movies for me of like, and the, you know, one of the hardest months of my life movies can be that escape. Movies can be that release from life. And in that month where I needed that the most, there was Tobey Maguire. And it it's one of those things that just stands out to you. And you, you don't realize those moments that are kind of defining you. And which characters will mean so much to you. And that's one of those ones that will always be there for me.
1: Got one right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you guys remember the movie Pleasantville? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mm-hmm. really uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. liked that movie. And that was my first introduction to him. So I got to say that one. That was recent. I, I don't know how he, he was in the movie. I, I forgot yeah. because it's so long ago. <laughs> but that's the movie I think of. Not Wasn't Spider-Man. Reese Witherspoon? Yeah. yeah. Reese Witherspoon. They,
0: they did that really neat art approach that you yeah. didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of with the color transitions. You know, just, I, I can't remember if I've told you guys this before, but the first time I saw the original Spider-Man, um, we were at Star Wars celebration in Indianapolis. And my, we were playing our film rise of the Trudis that we talked about a little bit earlier. We were playing it at the festival. And one night we were hanging out. It was me, my buddy who did the movie with me, another friend of mine who came, the vice president of Lucasfilm and the director of the Blair Witch project. And we we're all hanging out and the vice president of Lucasfilm says, "Hey, there's a local movie theater owner who's got a copy of the new Spider-Man movie. This was like weeks before it came out. It's like, he's gonna you know, when their last screening shows, he's gonna let us come in there at midnight and watch and watch it. You guys want to go?" We're like, Yeah, so me and my buddy, the vice president of Lucasfilm and the director of Blair Witch Project, we went to this theater and watched Spider-Man. So that was was my first experience watching the first Spider-Man movie. All
1: right, what's next? Marcus Penner writes, in what ways would you like to see the DCU Batman differentiated from Reeves? Do you think Gunn will go more comedy like Burton movies or cartoons?
0: First thing that a lot of people have to remember, Marcus, is that James Gunn is not directing all the DCU movies. Right? He's directing... Superman, um, uh, legacy. Like yeah. But he's not, he's going to get other directors to direct other things. And James Gunn has already kind of specified, it's like, yeah, listen, a lot of my movies with guardians, stuff like that. He says, but the DCU is not going to be guardians, right? He's going to go in a, a bit of a different direction. I don't know how I want it to differentiate from Matt Reeves as Batman. Look, every Batman we've had, every Joker we've had, has had a little bit of a different twist. And and I would like for them to also find their uniqueness for this Batman. Like, there's some core elements that all the Batmans have to have, but then some, you know, some room to play a little bit. Like, look, I'll say this. I love Matt Reeves' Batman. I love that movie. But I certainly don't want them to go any more somber or more dark- than the Robert Pattinson Batman is.
1: We're already going to get that world more, more of that world. So we don't need yeah, more of that. Yeah, exactly. World. So I, so I don't want them to go to Michael
0: Keaton's Batman or to Adam West's Batman. Mm-hmm. But I'd like th- to see the the DCU Batman move a little bit in that direction from the Robert Pattinson one. The it's, Robert Pattinson one is great. I just don't think you can go
1: darker than that. So you want them to go beyond. Batman Beyond. Yeah. Batman Beyond. Or... Come on. Come on, Sean. Yeah. Sean, what's your take? Batman Beyond? Yes or no. Are you a Batman Beyond guy, Sean? Uh Batman the animated
2: series is my Aww. favorite animated show there, of all time. Two. So that whole continuity, anything in that realm, I am game for it. Batman <laughs> Beyond isn't my favorite of the bunch, but I could so be very excited if they were to do that. But <sighs> as for DCU, the thing they're doing is what I want them to do, which is make it about the Bat family. That's what we yeah. haven't really seen in live action besides a couple of movies in the late 90s. And that's Brave and the Bold. It's about Damian Wayne. That is the distinction about
1: it's not just him alone. And they're already. that's the thing they're doing. All right. What's next? OK, we have Cody Leach, who writes, congrats, uh, congrats Uncle Sean, on the guest spot. And a huge thanks to John for having my friend on. This means more to him than you realize.
0: Oh, I, I, I assume, Sean, you know, Cody Leach. I do. He actually stayed at my
2: house when we went to Fantastic Fest uh, really? and where I saw Fall of House of Usher. So he's my best YouTube
1: friend.
0: Oh, that's Both of awesome. Well, he's the one doing time. me a favor by being on here today.
1: So thank you for saying that, man. All right. uh, then we got Curtis Lopez, who writes during the SAG strike. Can someone still promote their movie if they are the director of the movie, but also as an actor in it? I don't think so.
0: That's a very good question. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna probably say no, but there's not a lot of movies where the director is also the actor. Yeah. That that doesn't happen often. So, uh, but in theory, yeah. You know what? I think they'd probably be allowed to promote it as the director. Yeah. Not talk about their performance, not talk about anything that possibly. They, they probably would, because you know, writers are now allowed to go out and promote movies. Yeah. Um so I'm gonna guess maybe, but it's a good theoretical question.
1: And they can certainly develop uh, their next project and as a director, just not as an actor. They can't. Yeah, but we're talking about own-
0: promotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not really sure. But what if they're playing the director in the movie oh, the director?
1: Know. So it's just a <coughs> sorry Ray's trying to open a black hole now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, Amin writes, the main reason I think Flower Moon will struggle at the box office will be the length Yeah. at under three hours. It would be reasonable, but three and a half is very long.
0: Three and a half. Look, there's two things. Again, some movies, uh, an over three hour runtime is the right runtime for that movie. But there are two inherent drawbacks when box talking about box office. Number one, it will limit your number of repeat viewings. There are going to be people who go to see Killers of the Flower Moon and may, and look, I know these people who have said, that movie's really good. I, I But it's three and a half hours. I, I'm not going to go to the movie theater for four hours when you mm-hmm. take trailers into consideration. I'm, I'm not going to do that again. So it's going to hurt with repeat viewings. But then it also hurts with the sheer number of screenings the movie can have. Whereas one movie might be able to play on a single screen three times in an evening. Uh, I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon may have one, maybe two so it limits that as well. So it will hurt it a little bit, but the big question is, is it the right runtime for this movie? Well, if I, actually, you know, Sean, you've seen the movie. Yep. Was the three, like, I remember Scorsese's The Irishman. I really liked the movie, but I also firmly believe that movie could have been about a half hour shorter. Mm-hmm. How did Killers of the Flower Moon play with its runtime?
2: For me, I would say it definitely could have been tighter in the first 90 minutes. When you get into the back half and starts things start coming together, You're like captivated, you're locked in. But the first 90 minutes or so, there's just a lot of scenes where you don't know what matters, how it ties in, just getting to know the culture. And when you're talking about a movie that's that long, it feels like we're meandering a little bit. And there's just too much in the first 90 minutes of the film before the investigation, before the plot really kicks in. Like, you know where it's going, and you're just waiting for it to actually happen and get started. All right, uh, John, what's next? What, what
1: theater are you actually watching it in? It'll like comfortable seats or what? Just curious.
0: Yeah, we're in a Prime, okay, AMC good. Prime. Okay, yeah, good, so yeah. it'll be nice and comfy and all that kind of stuff, wow. yeah. All right, what's next? Samir
1: Makani writes uh nobody is mentioning who's uh who it's most likely to be in the Bifrost Korg, No wait, Mephisto.
0: Well, I mean, like so that came up yesterday and Sean, I'd like to know your your guess on this. So, we were talking yesterday about the new the Marvel spot where they clearly show You know, we hear Captain Marvel say, I called a friend of mine. We see the Bifrost hitting the ship. We start to see a figure come through. They're clearly trying to make the audience think it's Thor to sell tickets. But we brought up several options. We said it's either going to be Valkyrie. It could be uh, uh, Lady Sif. It could be Beta Ray Bill. Um, Do you got one? Oh, 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 we lost Sean. Oh, <laughs> we lost Sean. We,
1: he'll log back in. He'll log back, he'll back
0: in. in. So I bet we'll have to go without his guests, though, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, we'll find out. Um, but you know what? Korg isn't a bad thing. But again, did Captain Marvel ever meet Korg? She's calling a friend of hers. Korg. So I, I mean, I don't know. The, the presence of the Bifrost is a big problem because in the MCU, the Bifrost no longer exists. What about, it was destroyed.
1: What about Heimdall?
0: He's dead. Oh, but what if he comes? He's in Valhalla. He's in Valhalla. He's dead. He
1: with Jane. The
0: only person who has a Bifrost is Thor with Stormbreaker. When did they kill him off? Which movie? I forgot. They killed him at the beginning of Infinity War. Remember, like right at the very beginning, (gasps) Thanos. Oh, oh, that's when he blasts
1: a Hulk down to Earth. Yeah. All right, okay. Yeah. When Thor goes, you're going to regret that, or something like that, yeah. Yeah. All right, what's next? All right. Uh, Tevin Camo writes, do you think uh, they'll be able to bring uh, the Avatar fights to life without it looking goofy? I'm hoping all the bending looks good with all the CGI. 100%. 100%. I, I've seen several action
0: films that have like that kind of odd, awkward style. Of, and even unique style stuff, like, I think they're going to make it look dynamite. I really, really do. Now, they might not, but I have a lot of faith in it.
1: All right, what's next? All right, moving over here to our uh, member chats. Amin writes, regarding the Flower Moon topic, I was discussing Oppenheimer with my dad, and he really did not like the film. His main argument is that he feels certain stories, horrific ones like the atomic bomb and how the, it affected the Japanese people, just shouldn't be made into films. I completely disagree with him, but do you think there are certain historic, historic stories that should be left alone and not adapted into film or show? No way. No, I agree. No way.
0: It's part of the human experience. Yeah. We tell stories. Story; These stories need to be told. Um, and I understand, like some stories will will be a sore spot for some of us. Listen, I, I say this all the time. Um, I remember when they were making, uh, they made a, a movie in Canada about Paul Bernardo and Carla Hermolka And a lot of people, a, a lot of our American friends will have no idea who that is, but they were like, the only (laughs) serial killers in Canadian history uh, where they would go around and and kill like young teenage girls, at least a couple of them. Oh, and Sean looks like he's back. I think Uh, so. They would go around and you know, they would, they came up in Canada. like, Hey, listen, this is a very big sore spot for Canadians, but that's part of the reason why these stories should be told. Look, just keep this in mind. Whenever you see a movie or TV show where somebody gets in a car accident, there are people who lost family members and loved ones in car accidents. Does that mean we should never have car accidents in movies? Whenever we see a movie or TV show with a plane crash, there are people out there who lost families, friends, loved ones in plane crashes. So we never tell stories with plane crashes. All of us have have lost somebody or know some that we've lost to cancer. Should they not tell things? So absolutely, there are going to be stories to tell, but that will touch on sensitive spots. But that's what stories do. And I think it's really important for us as a culture and a society to tell those stories. Maybe even more important to tell those stories. But again, that's just my point of view on it. All right, what's next?
1: Dr. Stinky writes, hey, John and crew, since No Way Home is two years old in one and a half months, uh, do you think the movie would have been as well-received if Toby and Andrew weren't in it? Anyway, all love, keep bring, uh, being awesome, bring on the filthy.
0: It's a difficult question to answer because then it's a, complete, it's a completely different movie. Right, That's kind of the whole premise of the movie. Yeah. Now, remember, we found out the other day that the writers of Spider-Man No Way Home originally wanted the villain to be Kraven the Hunter. Yep. And it's only when Sony said, no, you can't use Kraven, because we have plans for Kraven, that they shifted to Plan B and decided to do that thing with bringing all these other iterations, the villains and the other spider man and all that kind of stuff. So it's hard to say, would the movie have been as well-received if they weren't in it? Well, then it's a completely different movie. So... um I don't know. Listen, all I know is this. People were loving the Spider-Man movies, right? The the uh, John Watts directed Spider-Man movies, people were loving them. So mm-hmm. I'm sure Spider-Man 3 would have been great and very well received. More so or less so if they weren't in it, it's impossible to say. All right, what's next?
1: All right, Red One Real Talk. Have you seen the trailer for Jeffrey Wright's new movie, American Fiction? Looks like a fun little parody of pieces of entertainment. And publishing industry, and I'm so here for it. I am a huge fan of Jeffrey Wright. He's got one of the best
0: voices <laughs> mm-hmm. in all of Hollywood. I love this guy. But I've have, I've have not even heard of this. Sean, have you heard of this? This uh, tra- have you seen this trailer or heard of this Jeffrey Wright project?
1: You got it, nope. Sean. No,
0: no, we don't have Sean. No, Sean can hear us.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Ah. Uh, oh, well, I'll we'll, we'll touch on or that I'll again later. All right. At least we had him for most oh, of the yeah, show. I'm, All right. I'm, oh, he's there. Oh, oh he's, there. Yeah, 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 I, I, he's there. Okay, we can hear him. Have you had a chance to I, see or hear of this project? Because I have not. This has not been on my radar. Am, I'm. Am I?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Oh, can you not hear us? Maybe that's the problem.
0: Oh, maybe he's or we're oh, on a delay.
1: Sorry, yeah. I can't
2: see you in the the actual feed. So I'm just on the live stream trying to figure out where I'm at. Oh, here. there we go. Um, How's there, that? Now I can see you again. There he goes. It cut me out, It's so I wasn't sure if it back in. Anyway, very cool. I have not. <laughs> That's my internet <laughs> loss. But I'm glad to be back in the live stream.
0: <laughs> the build up. To well, we're I, glad to have you back. Yeah, big too. build no. up too. Okay, ready. Ready? And no, no, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: What's next? (laughs) DJ Rebirth. Uh, Oh, my God. The Once Upon a Studio short from Disney celebrating their 100th anniversary was just perfect. Now it's on Disney+, Plus, but it'll also play in theaters behind Wish. Uh, And the moment involving Robin Williams, Genie got the approval from his estate.
0: Yeah. Have you heard about this, Sean? So I have not seen this... Once Upon a Studio, is that what it's called? But I've been hearing a lot of people talking about, well, Robin Williams is in it, but they, it, it is an AI, and they got permission. I have not seen this myself. Have any of you guys seen it, Sean? You, not right? yet, I have not. I haven't watched it yet. I've only yeah. heard about it. But yeah, I've, I've heard big things from it. I know I'm going to get emotional, though, if I hear Robin mm-hmm. Williams' mm-hmm. voice. That I, I will probably get pretty emotional here, but I haven't had a chance to see it myself yet. All right, what's next?
1: Okay, we've got uh, Zendard, Zendardi. Uh, hey, can be a crew. Happy Wednesday. What's your opinion on the Marvel reboot? Do you think they need to reintroduce uh, Iron Man, Cap, Black Widow, et cetera, soon? Or do you think those characters have been done justice uh, and can be put to rest? Thanks, bring on the filthy.
0: Let's be very clear. There is no Marvel reboot.
1: Yeah, people have been running with that.
0: There, There is a story in the new book that's come out, MCU
1: something. Uh, yeah, The rain, The, uh, the, rain, oh, yeah, the rain of yeah. Marvel or something like that. He's, oh, Sean's, yeah, got Sean's got it right, right there. there. Yeah, That's a great cover.
0: Um, where Kevin Feige suggested that they can use Secret Wars to, they said, the author of the book said, to prune out things that they don't want and bring back in characters that they do want. Kind of a soft reboot in a way. But that is like one comment made by the author of a book who's referring to one comment that Kevin Feige made. And unfortunately, some people have taken that as saying, the MCU is rebooting after Secret Wars. It's official. And that's not what this story is. Um, Look, I have always believed, and I still believe, Robert Downey Jr. will be back. And I've said it from the beginning. I'm not necessarily saying this year. I'm not necessarily saying in two years. I'm not even necessarily saying in three years, but he will be back. And I believe the same is true of Chris Evans as well. Chris Evans's comments lately have been opening it up a little bit more and more. You guys know. So um, I I don't see them rebooting like with a brand new Iron Man. I could see them bringing back Iron Man. I could see them getting rid of all the multiverse stuff. I, I don't know, Sean, like... You heard the story. You've got the book there in your hands. Like, do you think they're going to reboot? And if they do, what kind of approach do you think they're going to take? I mean, I think Kevin Feige's statements
2: make, make it clear exactly what he's talking about. We could use this to simplify things. Yes. That's, that's what it says. Like we, the stuff that's not working as well as changing the universe so that we can bring maybe X-Men in or something like that. It's a tool. It's trying to be useful. It's not a hard reboot, but the internet, Twitter, does what it does, and they run with whatever story they have. And I, I don't think it's that at all. It's just this is an opportunity to restructure a little bit, tighten it up.
0: By the way, Ray uh, Ron H is very sad in the live chat that you didn't take the opportunity to call it a rebooty. Oh, so, yeah, rebooty.
1: <laughs> I forgot. Let's take two more and then we'll wrap it up today. What's next? Mighty Tank says, hey, screw you guys for making me audibly laugh on the treadmill yesterday during that Bay Ray Bill impression. Now my gym crush probably thinks I'm a weirdo. We're all weirdos, man. Don't worry about it. I, I, that got me, too. <laughs> so you
0: have Bay Ray Bill coming, He's just talking like Mr. Ed the whole time. I now, now I don't want to see anything else other than that.
1: All right. Last question of the day. What's next? Okay. Just some comments on Napoleon. Alex writes, hi, did you guys see the new Napoleon trailer? It was glorious. I can't wait to see the movie. I think Joaquin is going to win his second Oscar and Vanessa Kirby is going to be nominated. Who? Whose country are we in? Just, oh yeah, wow. my country. My. That
0: was such a great moment. Now look, many, many, many times in my career, I have gotten on that train way too early and gone, but from based on a trailer saying, yeah. Oscar nomination when all I've seen is a trailer. Now look, does it look great? Yes. Does Joaquin look fantastic in it? Yes. Does Vanessa Kirby look incredible in it? Yes. By the way, that one scene in the trailer when she's like spreading her legs a bit so you look at your eyes. Blah, and he looks down. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of that scene in um, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. With Margot Robbie mm-hmm. and Leonardo. Like, mm-hmm. I got real vibes of that. But I look, I'm sure they're going to be great. But I don't want to get ahead of myself about Oscar nomination when I've seen him literally act for about a minute in it. <laughs> but I don't know. You've, you've been seeing the trailer, Sean. Like, do you think this is one that could be an Oscar hopeful or are, are, are the, is the fact that a number of Ridley Scott's more recent films not really lived up to the potential give you pause on that? I don't know. What do you think?
2: Well, I just think the subject matter, the genre, the people involved, it just feels highly likely if it's as good as the trailer looks That it would get nominations. Now, of course, if the movie's only okay, then, but like, it feels like we're working with all of the ingredients that set it up for success. These are Oscar winning and Oscar nominated people. Yeah. As director, as actors, actress. So it's very likely in a genre like this, this season too, it's Oscar season. This is when you release things that you think can get nominations. So there's just a, a lot of reasons to think that's likely.
0: All right, guys, and that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in questions, whether you're channel members or use the super chat feature. Number one, because you gave us great fun, interesting things to talk about. And number two, you supported our channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the channel guys, thank you guys so very much for your support. I want to thank the people in the room with me. Ray Aura, See you guys later. Jonathan Voiko, Later. Sean Chandler has been yeah. here. Sean, where can people find you
2: online? You can find me on YouTube. at. If you look up Sean Chandler, you will either find a football player or a guy that looks like me talking about movies. <laughs> it's the guy that looks like me talking about movies or Kirk never died on Twitter.
0: And uh, guys, big thank you to all of you for being here, making the show part of your day. Don't forget, we will be back again tomorrow. We look forward to seeing you then. My name's John Campion, guys. And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.